You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So we've been taking sort of a slow walk through this very familiar story in John's gospel, the wedding feast at Cana. And if you haven't been here uh, the last uh, two days, it doesn't really matter. It's a very familiar story. Um, You remember that Jesus comes to uh, a wedding and um, uh, the wine runs out. And yesterday I spoke a little bit about how Jesus chose six uh, stone jars that were reserved for the Jewish rites of purification. And he instructed his disciples to fill these jars with water. And then he asked, them to pour some for the chief steward. And that's where I'm picking up the story. And as I think about this story in my head, I I imagine that chief steward as uh, John Cleese of Monty Python fame, if you know him. So put that in your mind. So in the story, the chief steward tastes the water, which is of course become wine, and then says to the bridegroom who is footing the bill, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. The good wine. And the fact that Jesus chose to provide wine is layered with biblical meaning as I'm sure you understand, because wine was a sign that the Messiah was in the house. Going back to Isaiah's prophecies, well-aged wine was a sign of the arrival of the kingdom. Wine was a feature, a feature in the, to be a feature in the heavenly banquet. Uh, and just more generally, wine was a sign of God's blessing, a sign of his provision, his grace, his favor, Wine signifies the beloved status of God, of of God to us. So with that in mind, if you just imagine, if I were to pour you a glass of wine, okay, how does it taste? If you have heard people describe good wine, they say it's oaky or it's austere or it's dense, creamy, silky, steely, structured, all words like this. So how does this wine that Jesus poured taste? I'm going to give you a few examples. I'm going to go very light on explanation this morning and try to focus more on on taste, the aesthetic of it. Um, I feel like I tasted some of this wine uh, just recently. My wife and I are absolutely hooked on the TV series, The Good Doctor. That rings a bell for anyone. It's a fabulous series. Um, And in this series, Sean Murphy is a surgeon. He's a young resident at a prestigious teaching hospital. Um, And the drama of the show all centers around the fact that Dr. Murphy has remarkable diagnostic and surgical skills, but he struggles to communicate and connect with his patients and with the rest of the staff and with his friends because he is on the autism spectrum. And there's an episode in season three that's called The 45 Degree Angle. And Sean has started to date uh, 
uh, a, a young pathologist named Carly, but the exact status of their relationship is very uncertain. And so in this episode, Sean is in the practice OR with a team of nurses and he's rehearsing his very first lead surgery. And one of the nurses asks, so how's it going with Carly? And Sean says, well, things are going, are going well. Uh, but he reveals to these nurses that Carly had recently invited some of her friends over and had not invited him. And so one nurse asks, well, why didn't she invite you? She isn't treating you like a boyfriend. Has she ever called you her boyfriend? And this plants a seed of doubt in Sean's mind. His concentration is completely broken. Um, he's uncertain about the status of his relationship with Carly, and it immediately affects all of his other relationships. In his frustration, he throws a young nurse out of the surgery when she fails to present him with a clamp at the proper 45-degree angle. And he has to apologize to her, but he can't. Uh, he can't accept responsibility or extend forgiveness, and it almost costs him his job. At the very end of the episode, there's this scene where Sean and Carly are sitting together on the couch, and she apologizes for not inviting him to meet her friends and for assuming that it was going to be a disaster because of his autism. And she says, I'm sorry, Sean. I made an assumption. Can you forgive me? I wasn't a great girlfriend. Girlfriend, Sean says. You're my girlfriend? Does that mean I'm your boyfriend? She says, yeah. She says, I forgive you. <laughs> Immediately, without pause, I forgive you. His response is instantaneous. The forgiveness comes easily and naturally and immediately once the status of beloved has been established. And that's the taste of the gospel. Once we are secure in our status as beloved by God, it changes our relationships. When we feel it, when we experience it, can experience it, it can break these relational log jams that we all find ourselves in with our family and our, with all the relationships that we have. The assurance of our status as beloved by God. I'll tell you another story. This one has to do with serving this wine. You know, if you think about that story, uh, Jesus intended that wine to be served. He didn't circle up his disciples, change the water to wine, and say, let me explain to you about this wine, did he? No, he instructed the wine to be served. After seminary, my wife and I uh, traveled to England, and we visited uh, Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, uh, an old theology professor of mine and a friend was the vicar there, and we attended a midweek service. And the history of this place is, is really wonderful. In 1782, Charles Simeon was appointed the vicar of Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, and he served there for 54 years. 
And if you've never heard of Simeon, he pioneered on-campus ministry to undergrads. And his method was to go out from the church to these students and to take them uh, tea in a little teapot. And he would host also in his home these Friday, who call them Friday night conversation parties. And through years of prayer and encouragement um, and studying the Bible, he led many young men uh, into the ministry. So I sort of, because I do campus ministry, I sort of consider him the patron saint of campus ministry. But anyway, after this service, uh, the vicar gave us a tour of the chapel, and he let me stand in Simeon's uh, pulpit, and then he took us back to these offices uh, into this uh, walk-in vault where they kept all the church's historical documents and paintings and prints of various sorts. And then he brought out uh, this small black Wedgwood teapot, and he said, this is the teapot. And he carefully placed it in my hands and he said, this is the teapot that Simeon used to carry around to the students. And he said, it's absolutely priceless. <laughs> and he didn't have to say, so don't drop it, stupid. <laughs> you know? And I held it in my hands. Simeon was serving tea, you know, but the point is the same. He was, he was serving it. This uh, gospel wine is intended to be served. There's nothing like it in the world. It's absolutely priceless, and it's intended to be served. I want to end with uh, an illustration about uh, my congregation and brag on my congregation. I've said that this wine gives us beloved status. I've said that it's intended to be served, not just explained. And the last thing I want to say is the result that it can have when you actually experience it, you know, when you take it into yourself, which I consider is, that must be some of the meaning of it being wine, is it goes, it goes into us, not just into our heads, but into our whole bodies. So I'll brag on my congregation for just a second. I have served St. Albans Chapel on the LSU Go Tigers campus for 18 years. Um, the past year has been uh, rough for me and my family. We had a, well, there's a pandemic, but we had a house fire, so we were out of our, our house for a full year, and we just really struggled. Um, and my congregation knew this, and so this past Christmas Eve, they gave me a gift. They presented me with an electric guitar. They gave me a brand new American-made Fender Stratocaster walnut sunburst with a whammy bar. And they said, we love you, go play. That's the wine of grace. We love you, go play. I've played acoustic guitar since I was in high school, and over the past few years, I have been working on my acoustic guitar. But I had kind of forgotten how to play, <laughs> and so now I'm playing this electric guitar. 
And my favorite effect, I bought all these pedals, and if you know anything about electric guitars, I bought all this gear, I have all these pedals. My favorite is the Tron envelope filter, which is the pedal that I put on, and it goes wah, 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 wah. You recognize that? We do it again. Wah, 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 wah. It's Peter Frampton, of course, you know. So I just stand in my room for a long time playing my uh, Tron envelope filter. Um, and my point is I've, I've recovered some joy in the play and under the grace that they voiced to me. They served me up a glass of play, a glass of joy. And that's what the gospel tastes like. That's what the wine tastes like. It's our status of being beloved by God. He intends us to serve it, but he also intends us to enjoy it because you can't share what you don't have. Sometimes we're so busy serving others that we don't taste the wine ourselves. I want to close by praying for this wonderful church. Thank you for your hospitality, and I will pray for my church as well. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for the secure status of beloved that we know in Christ. And thank you uh, for the opportunities that you put in front of us to share this wine with others. And help us uh, not to forget to drink deeply ourselves. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.